0: Morning, this is the uh, CSF author interview with Professor Kevin Winthrop from Portland, Oregon. And we're uh, talking about his paper that he's recently published in Arthritis Research Therapy, the Evaluation of Pneumococcal and Tetanus Vaccine Responses in Patients with RA Receiving Baricitinib Results from a Long-Term Extension Trial substudy. Morning, Kevin, and welcome to this podcast. Um, Hi, Peter.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Tell us a little bit about uh, the main objective of this study, and uh, you know, this whole issue of vaccination is so topical at the moment.
1: Sure, uh, you bet. I mean, especially with the new drugs that are coming out, just uh, an effort to understand how they affect vaccine responses is a is kind of a never-ending, uh, never-ending line of inquiry given your your pipeline uh, in rheumatology. So the the point of this was really to look at uh, the the JAK inhibitor baricitinib specifically. Particularly with regards to uh, two vaccines, pneumococcal vaccine and tetanus, two uh, T-cell dependent uh, vaccines, and uh, there had been some prior work with tofacitinib with um, the pneumococcal vaccine, although not not the T-cell dependent one, but the polysaccharide one, the, the old pneumovax. So, so this was an opportunity really to look at the new Prevnar 13, which is is the recommended. Uh, vaccine in rheum- rheumatologic patients nowadays. At least that's one we start with. We then give a booster later with Pneumovax. We can talk about those things later if there's time. But that was the point of the study, and we focused on those two two vaccines, uh, again, primarily because, A, they're important, and, B, uh, we wanted to understand how very how affected T-cell-dependent um, vaccination.
0: Excellent. So can you just quickly tell us, for those who don't have uh, knowledge of it, the difference between PPSV23 and PCV13 and why we need both
1: yeah so the the 23 the old pneumovax is a polysaccharide vaccine most most countries have been using it for years not all countries um it's it's fairly weakly immunogenic compared to other you know protein conjugate vaccines such as the PCV13 so this is a conjugate vaccine uh and you know it only It only elicits immune responses to 13 serotypes, hence the name PCV13. The name of AXX is PPSV23, or it's, you know, polysaccharide vaccine 23. It elicits immune responses to 23 serotypes. So, you know, it covers a broader range of strep. uh, However, it's just not as immunogenic. So what we've taken to doing is um, if someone's naive to these vaccines, uh, it's recommended to to start with the PCV13, and then later, sometime in the next year, go ahead and boost the pneumococcal responses by, by giving them the, the And What you end up seeing is a much higher tighter of antibody responses, at least at the 12 serotypes that are in common between those two vaccines. So, so that is the current strategy. Uh, so they both have value, um, and they're both shown to be protective. Uh, against invasive pneumococcal disease and, and really um, pneumonia, uh, although that was really you know very strongly shown with um, the new conjugate vaccine. So that, that's how we use them today.
0: Thanks for that. Just a quick comment. Lenny Calabrese always teaches that if you pneumovax people, they get protection against against other coccal organisms. Does that you've got the evidence for that, or is that just a sort of a takeaway comment?
1: Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure exactly what Len was, was trying to say there. Um, um, you know, it's, I don't know that you get any immunity beyond the 23 serotypes, for example, that are covered. Uh, I don't think you do. I mean, in some cases, studies have shown as those serotypes become less common in populations, there is some replacement of those serotypes causing disease by other serotypes, but, but not much. I mean, it's very small. Um, in terms of,
0: yeah.
1: you know, more broad protection against other organisms, you know, I, it, a lot of studies you end up doing show that, and it's it's probably this kind of healthy vaccine user effect that you often see, particularly in population-based studies, where you, you follow a group of patients that has been immunized against, you know, something, and it turns out they, they seem to do better against other things, too, and it's probably just the fact that they have have better care. So, I, I don't know if that's what he was um, hinting at or not,
0: okay.
1: but possibly. and possible.
0: young. Um- and the old tetanus toxoid vaccine, just a straightforward one we've been using for years?
1: Yeah, yeah, the good, the tried and true.
0: Okay. Can you also put one other old wives' tale to bed that vaccination flares rheumatoid? Is there evidence to support that?
1: Well, at least not with the current vaccines. I mean, that—that that is uh, something that's always brought out with each new vaccine that comes up. Um, and with lupus and other, you know, rheumatologic conditions. I mean, so far, really, none of the vaccines that we have today have been shown to flare um, inflammatory diseases like RA anyway, uh, or even lupus. You know, the the new shingles vaccine is, you know, highly adjuvenated, much more so than, than any of the other vaccines that we've been using, so I think there is a potential that, that that vaccine could potentially flare autoimmune disease. But that, that's something that we and others will uh, be looking at in future studies.
0: Excellent, because Michael Weinblatt was telling me he's done 300 shindrix without any flares of RA, but we'll wait and see what a, what a proper study shows.
1: Yeah, could I think you... they're presenting their, their data in Madrid. I, I think they've had a couple flares, but I don't think the rate's been, um, you know, Higher than what one would expect necessarily, but we'll see. We'll see the presentation at ULOC.
0: Excellent. So, could you just tell us a bit of the about the design of this study?
1: Sure. This was uh, very straightforward. I mean, I, I'll just tell you up front, it was uh, it was limited in, in terms of not having a comparison group. It would have been great to have a uh, you know group of individuals not on Barry or a group of individuals given a placebo vaccine, something. Uh, But this was just a standard open label study where patients had stable, well-controlled rheumatoid, and uh, they were on buried either two or four, and most of them were on methotrexate. Uh, I don't remember. Probably about half were on kind of low-dose steroids. Uh, And simply everyone was given these vaccines, both the the tetanus toxoid vaccine and the PCV13. And then we measured their immune responses uh, five weeks later and 12 weeks later. And... Uh, You know, primarily we we sought to identify the individuals that had a reasonable response. And I mean, there's no right uh, answer on what fold antibody response uh, implies protection, but we we tend to look at in lots of prior studies, you know, greater than two-fold increase in antibody titer uh, at, you know, a certain number of serotypes or at least half the serotypes. That kind of definition has been used before, and that's the one we used here to define a satisfactory response in pneumococcal. Vaccination, and then we used a fourfold increase, and then a sensitivity analysis with a twofold increase around anti uh, tetanus concentrations in, in patients who were given the uh, tetanus vaccine. And again, there's no um, proven you know percent of protection with those type of rises, but but those are the types of rises that have been used in prior studies.
0: Excellent. Can you just tell us a little bit about this opsinophagocytic assay, for those who don't understand the functional assay um, yeah. and how it sort of relates to the IgG one.
1: Yeah, you bet. That was kind of a you know a secondary or exploratory endpoint. I'm really glad we did it. The opsinophagocytic opsonophag- phag- titers, these are really functional antibody titers. So you're measuring not just, you know, the number of increase, but the, the, the amount of increase in titers or antibodies that actually are working and opsonizing the, um, the antigen. So uh, they are probably a more sensitive measure uh, in individuals, particularly in immunosuppressed individuals. Um, and there's, there's now just a few, but more and more you'll see more and more vaccine studies use this, this measure. Um, you know, and I'll get to the results here in a second, but I'll tell you what we found in regards to that, because it was quite interesting.
0: It is interesting. So let's let's hear a little bit about the results. And first of all, the baseline demographics—they were pretty straightforward. Long-standing RA's, eighty percent on methotrexate, thirty percent steroids. But they were bigish, eighty-eight kilos, and their disease was well controlled when they went in. So tell us um, what the results were.
1: Yeah. So they were in low disease activity essentially, and. Um So, one might expect they'd have good vaccine responses, Uh, and in fact, they did. I mean, you know, uh, roughly two-thirds of these individuals or greater had uh, a satisfactory response to the PCV13. Slightly lower responses were noted at the tetanus, I think it was around 40-some percent, had a a four-fold elevation in tetanus titer. If you use the two-fold cutoff as your definition of satisfactory response, that was higher. Um, you know, in the 60% range. Um, You know, I thought these were pretty reasonable responses. Um, Unfortunately, we weren't able to sort out how methotrexate might be contributing just simply because most patients were on methotrexate. Um, In the small percentage of patients that weren't on methotrexate, they seem to have the same types of responses. Um, But it is possible that, that it diminishes it, certainly diminishes responses to the polysaccharide vaccine or pneumovax, um, so, it may actually do the same thing here, but but that remains to be seen.
0: And is it meaningful that the tetanus response dropped by week 12, was that not important?
1: Yeah, I, I don't think it's probably important. I mean, we we tried to make this assessment of, you know, a longer-term response, although, you know, it's just six weeks later, or seven weeks later, so I'm not sure how useful that is. I mean, it'd be nice to look one year out. Um, that being said, a lot of times titers drop, and, you know, it's not meaningful anyway because, uh, you know, it's actually not the the titer level that means protection. You know, it's like uh, patient's titers, if they're presented to antigen, you know, antigen challenge, they may just do fine, and they have enough sure. protection. And actually, that's kind of uh, the rest of our results hints at that. So that optinophegocytic titer we were talking about was very interesting because what we were able to show is that there was a, a fairly decent percentage of individuals that, that lacked a you know, satisfactory rise in their regular titers. However, they had, um, they did have a positive and, and robust response with their optional phagocytic titers. So it did seem to identify individuals who, were, who, who didn't really look like they got much protection from the vaccine, but they actually did when we, we looked at the functional aspects of their antibodies.
0: Okay, and it looked like background steroids didn't really interfere.
1: No, I mean we we had enough variability on that variable. We were able to look at both strata, both you know steroid users and non-users, and we didn't we didn't see a difference. Age. Uh, I don't think we saw much different with with age either. Um, and you know RA disease activity, of course, we we couldn't really look at it because everyone was um, fairly well controlled uh, at the time. Uh, but I, I would suspect that RA disease does, you know, disease activity of higher or magnitudes would diminish responses. I think that would be to be expected. You know, steroids in general don't, you know, low dose steroids in general do not affect uh, really any of the vaccine responses that, you know, we can talk about. I mean, the usual ones you guys use in the practice. Higher higher doses certainly uh, can and, and will, but, but low dose, you know, under 10 milligrams is a 5 milligram range below, you tend not to see much effect on on immunogenicity of these vaccines.
0: And you didn't have enough to distinguish two from four milligrams of Barry?
1: No, boy, I wish we did. Um, we just we just didn't. I mean, we did look where where there was uh, a small percentage on the two milligram and we didn't really see anything different, but
0: um, it wasn't a very large group okay so that's nice and what about safety you didn't really have any issues of any significance
1: no i mean there was a few uh, local vaccine reactions but um that was it i i can't remember there might have been a couple SAEs, but they weren't related to the vaccine um so we we did have a, a good experience from a safety standpoint
0: and no flares as well that's good so what should we take away from this study
1: so um a couple things number one i i think you can you know if you have a patient on bevacizumab and they're due for their pneumococcal vaccine i think you can just go for it i think they're going to have a decent and robust enough response with prednar that you can go ahead and just give it to them um you know we don't have information on influenza vaccine so i can't tell you anything there but i can tell you with uh somewhat similar jack inhibitor although slightly different as you know um, we didn't see much uh, diminishment of influenza responses at all. So I, I wouldn't expect to see diminishment with, with Barry either. So I think you can go ahead and just vaccinate individuals. The tetanus, you know, clinically you're less you know likely to be giving that vaccine, but you know, people are supposed to get one every, you know, a booster every 10 years as adults. Uh, if you are giving it, I, I think probably I would just go ahead and give it. Um, I don't know that it's worth necessarily taking them off Barry uh, for a time being to, to see if you can get a better response uh, it does bring up the issue around methotrexate um, you know like I said before it's very possible methotrexate diminishes the vaccine response uh, potentially taking someone off methotrexate uh, might benefit them I, I think if I had someone on Barry and methotrexate it was well controlled and I wanted to vaccinate them with these vaccines I you know I would either do nothing or I would I would think about stopping the methotrexate for two to four weeks uh, in
0: vaccinating okay, so it, that might a more. Yeah. yeah okay Um. the thanks for that now the big issue with the jacks of course is Zostavax and how do you manage that Zostavax issue in your clinic it's always a difficult uh, time when they're flaring and you're about to put them on a jack to stop things because it's alive attenuated and the old Zostavax really doesn't seem to be that effective and we're all waiting for Chindrix but we can't get supply in Australia so how do you handle the, the whole Zostavax issue?
1: Yeah, we're, you know, we're kind of in that in-between zone. It's a moving target right now. Um, you know, we're still using Zostavax in our clinic um, for a couple reasons. I mean, primarily we can't get the Shingrix, like you just mentioned. The, the supply has been uh, hit or miss. I have managed to get it for a few patients, but but most patients, we, we can't bring it in. Um, Zostavax does provide protection. Uh, it's... It is a decent vaccine for at least you know a couple years after you give it. So I think it is worth you know buying some time with it until you can get access to Shingrix. Um The you know the, the caveat is of course you know you do have to leave them off a jack inhibitor for you know at least two weeks uh, after you give it, um, if not three to four weeks. And that's that is true of all biologics as well, though we did just complete a study showing that you know even people on TNF blockers while they use Zostavax uh, do not have disseminated uh, zoster from the vaccine. So it actually looks pretty safe, um, at least in TNF blockers. But uh, Jack neighbors, I think, are a different story. And if I was going to use it, I would definitely use it before they went on the Jack, And I'd wait two to three weeks. We did a study a couple of years ago uh, before we put people on TOFA. We, we vaccinated them. And Everyone actually did just fine, and we waited usually about three weeks after the vaccination to give um, TOFA. But uh, there was actually someone who who disseminated the vaccine, and it turned out that person had no pre-existing immunity. So I have taken to the following strategy. I I ask people if they've had chickenpox. If they say yes, um, that actually has a very high positive predictive value being true. If they're older and they say yes, and I take that. Uh, if they don't know, I check their VZV IgG to see if they've been exposed. And if that's positive, then you know they've had chicken pox. So if they say yes to chickenpox or have evidence of it, you know that they're a vaccine candidate and they actually have um, pre-existing immunity. So um, then I consider the Zostavax, depending on their immunosuppression, um, and then you know we'll, we'll consider Shingrix later down the line once we have uh, some vaccine and actually some data. So
0: sounds good so i've had a couple of or at least one patient who claims that his herpes simplex kept recurring repeatedly on Jax. have you had any uh, experience of other viruses and should we be getting a hpv vaccine for our young females with this kind of uh, medication
1: yeah those are good questions um jeff Curtis, i published a study last year and we, we showed uh and we found in a population-based fashion that your gentleman's uh, or your patient's contention is, is correct. I mean, uh, tofacidinib does increase the risk of HSV, and I would assume Barry does as well, given uh, everything we know. Um, in terms of other viruses, you know, it's really rare CMB. Uh, it does happen with both those drugs, but, but it is quite rare. Uh, and then HPV, that's a great question. We haven't seen any sort of... Signal with HPV-related cancers uh, in the programs um, from those drugs. Uh, you know, most most of the people having taken those drugs are older individuals. I think you know, as they're starting to be used in younger individuals, uh, you know, the question of how it could affect HPV acquisition or or the you know maintenance after acquiring it uh, is is a real good question. It might be harder for your body to get rid of it. I don't know. Um, no one's really looked systematically at this and I'm aware of. So in terms of vaccination, absolutely. I mean, anybody in the age category, I'd have to look. I think it's 26 and under. Uh, but uh, in the U.S., I mean, we're vaccinating women uh, and men uh, in the right age group that where it's recommended. I, I would definitely uh, think that that's important for, for everyone, and you know, let alone they're, if they're going to go on a jack inhibitor or not.
0: And things like Hemovax, Hep A, Hep B, um, there's plenty of guidelines around, but do, do you routinely hemovax people for Um,
1: For H flu? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, most uh, everyone here has had that vaccination as a child, and so I, I honestly haven't used it in years. Um, everybody okay. should be uh, immune, although, um, you know, I suppose if, if you're doing, you know, Rheumatology. That's something you'll you'll encounter. It's definitely it's a it's a very valuable vaccine
0: in terms of. Its okay. Fertility. Excellent. So, um, anything else you'd like to comment on this study, and and where do you see it going in the future? What other things you're going to work on in the vaccine space?
1: Sure. I you know I thought it was a nice study. I mean, it was really the first to look at PCV13 of any. Uh, rheumatologic study, except for the TOFA study that we did uh, in psoriasis, where we also looked at PCV13. So, at least we now have two two studies, one in RA and one in psoriasis, that attest to the fact that um, patients seem to have fairly robust responses to that vaccine, which is what we were hoping given us a protein-conjugated vaccine and that it, it should be more immunogenic than uh, the old Numivac. So, so I think that's encouraging. I think where we're going next, well, we gotta really evaluate Shingrix, as you brought up. I mean, it's, it's the real um, uh, moving target in terms of you know whether we should be using it, how we should be using it, uh, how well is it gonna work, and how well it's gonna be tolerated. Um, obviously the data you know, today to it's really just been healthy uh, general population over age 50 so we got a lot of work to do to start looking at people with inflammatory diseases uh, and even younger people uh, and people on various immunosuppressives and you know, how they might affect uh, the vaccine response so I think that's the future
0: and you think the opsonization index is the way to go
1: yeah for uh, particularly for, for pneumococcal responses yeah I, I think it's in immunosuppressed individuals, I think it's giving you a better understanding of um, of immunity. So um, I think you'll see more Could and you, more of that.
0: Because you did find that subset where the OI went up, even when the uh, IgG-T didn't.
1: Yeah. And that, like I said, that's reassuring that. And that's what we've always thought. We've always thought that, hey, you know, people may not bump their antibody tires that much, but I'll bet they're I bet they've improved their protection and that's what that kind of data would would support.
0: That argument. Okay, well thank you again for your time, Professor Winthrop. This has been the CSF May Author podcast. If you'd like to know more about this paper and others uploaded to the CSF website this month, detailed slide sets are available in the publication section at Cytokinesignalling.com. C Y T O K I N E S I G N A L L I N G dot com. Please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or other podcast media and give us some feedback and let us know what you think. Also, head to the CSF website and enter the CSF poster competition on this month for a chance to win a $1,000 travel bursary for you or a colleague to your next Medical Scientific Congress. The competition ends this week. So visit the CSF website for more details. Thank you very much.